I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is The Drive with Dale Lally and Matt Williamson. On your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR, Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome to The Drive. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. It's a lovely Tuesday here in Pittsburgh. I had some rain at my house this morning, but there's no sign of rain now. Uh, no, it's nice out. Beautiful nice. day. I'm right. sure the uh, the Steelers getting ready to hit the practice field here this afternoon and uh, take in some, uh, some additional practice as they get ready to put the shells and helmets on later this week. How about that? How about that? Moving, uh, moving, moving closer to football. Uh, this week, uh, next time at this week, I'll be uh, hopefully in the stadium watching practice. I'm expecting you to be and can't wait to get to some reports and even just get a vibe of what it's like there. You know, We never know. Things football. could change. Things change right. in this thing on a daily basis. Um, okay. As we've seen uh, today, the Steelers uh, they uh, activated Justin Lane from the uh, reserve COVID list. So they now just have one player remaining on the COVID list, that being running back Jalen Samuels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if he uh, he gets activated here at some point. Um, he went on that a little little bit later. Yeah, he wasn't the first wave. You know, yeah, he, he was a veteran reporting. So, you know, he's uh, takes a little bit of time to clear that, that protocol. Well, we um, kind of poo-pooed that, you know, like, hey, it's not that big a deal if you see these big names on it. But a guy like Lane, who we have high hopes for, and hopefully he doesn't see a lot of playing time, but he needs all that practice time he can get. You yeah, want, you absolutely. Want to get him back off there for sure. Yeah, and, and the same for a guy like Jalen Samuels who needs to be on the field. He's got There's a lot more competition job. this right, year. Right. Yeah, he's going to win a job. Reasons. Um, we're starting to see some guys uh, from around the league. Uh, some injury news. Uh, Trey Wayne's apparently with the Bengals now. Tore a peck or did something with his peck mm-hmm. and is out at least two months. He was a big part of what they wanted to do. They, yeah, they, you know, they invested in those Vikings corners and uh, give the. I mean, it's just been a Bengals thing. Is they're not bashful about going after corners. A lot of first round corners. That's what a they lot do. Of guys yeah. of size. And he's not a great player, but he's an upgrade over what they've been playing with of late. And it hurts him. I mean, it definitely hurts him. Yeah, and again, that's what we, we you know we talked about that on Monday on the show that uh, you know at this point no news is good news. Um, so that kind of news. Is that's bad that news. kind of news right, is right. bad news. That just kind of drives that home. Um, we're still waiting on word uh, to see what happens with uh, college football this season. I did see a a report on uh, CBS um, that while yes, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are talking about. Uh, not playing football in this in the uh, fall this year, the ACC, the SEC, and the uh, the Big Twelve are all saying, "Hey, we're we're playing." No, oh, yeah, I did see that too. Like, I don't know how much to take into that. You know, is it is that a done deal? Are they going all systems go no matter what? Um, I mentioned I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks's podcast on the way here yesterday, and I finished it on the way home. 
and they were doing a lot of discussion with Joel Klatt, who's a big college football guy. And he made some good points in terms of just player safety at the college level. He very much believed, and he might have convinced me, that it's safer for these young men to be a part of a team than to be off on their own and doing whatever they're going to do. And he even took it to the extreme of, you know, they're so volatile at that age, some of them will turn to drugs and alcohol if they don't have football or, you know, just more well, dangerous. Just, I mean, when you're, when you're you know, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, um, you know, you're, you're eight foot tall and bulletproof. Exactly. You know, and you don't. take that away from you. Yeah, we, right. we saw that here in Pittsburgh when they opened up, when, when, th- when everything went yellow and the restaurants and bars opened back up and immediately, you know, the, the, the like kids. The 21-year-olds are Yeah, they're there. back in the bars and, and you know, trying to, to live a normal life, uh, doing what they did, before, you know, prior to the, uh, to the COVID outbreak. And we weren't quite ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, you still have to be diligent with, with some of the things that you do. I, you know, whether that be, you know, wearing a mask 24 hours a day, I, I don't know that I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I certainly, you know, social distancing, those kind of things, you know, if you're going into a, an, an area where you're going to be in a very public place, uh, yes, wear, wear a mask. Of course. Uh, yeah, just no to, doubt. you know, but... Um, yeah, it's it's just you know I think I hadn't in, thought of that angle before. In those about, situations, you know, right, right. I mean those you know you're you're putting those kids in situations where they're going to be tested regularly, where they're going to be Structure, maybe not necessarily right. in a in a bubble, but their time is going to be managed very much for them. And this is not rude to say, but I really don't think the NCAA would change things. I don't. Their logic's going to be like we just want to be safe. I think they just don't want to get sued. Yes, <laughs> you right. know, I mean, and, and you know the the thing is as well, um, you know, in certain states, maybe the colleges aren't going back to campus. True. So how do how you do tell how do you tell the athletes, hey, it's okay for you guys to come back to campus because you're making us money. But and, the right. general population, no, they're they're going to learn, you know, mm-hmm. uh, virtually. Yeah, they're going right. to do this virtually. That doesn't work, yeah. um, especially again for lawsuits. So if it comes down to you know somebody gets this and and God forbid something happens, right. yeah, you know, right. bad happens. Um, now all of a sudden, well, you know, the lawyer's sitting there going, "Well, you you wouldn't let your general student population What's come back from Sally in biology class, as opposed to <laughs> <laughs> right, Jimmy know. on the football field, I mean, exactly, exactly." Yeah. So, and it's a strong point, and I'm sure the lawyers would win that argument, you know, and which is, I don't know, it just seems like the majority of this comes down to liability. Uh, I'm also though with Mike Persuda, who said this last night, of all the sports, that would be the strangest, the most affected. Without the cheerleaders, the crowd noise. Well, I think basketball would, though, too. I mean, if you well, think about... Yeah, yeah, because it's right on top of you. You're right there. Right. Um, you know, what is what is uh, you know Duke basketball without the Cameron crazies? Yeah, and, right, right, right. You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, even the Pittsburgh Zoo, I mean, they're right on top of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, I think that does affect play. Um, you know, again, I, I when I look at baseball, that doesn't affect anything. Not really. Um, no. You know, we watched the hockey games, uh, you know, the last uh, couple weeks here. And, you know, I think it would be nice to see it, but you don't really notice it and I thought when you're watching on TV. And, hockey. and hockey's a TV sport anyway. Sure, sure. Um, football, to me, will be weird without a crowd, without question. Uh, the stadiums are so big and open, and, you know, you'll see it. It probably won't. It's cavernous. You, I mean, you'll hear every. Yeah, and, and that's something that, you know, Cameron Hayward talked about in the offseason. Uh, actually, Ramon Foster wrote about it. On, uh, on my website, DKPittsburghSports.com, about, you know, the silence in the stadiums, how it will be 
easy to pick up on things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, especially for veteran players, they're gonna you know if they're gonna recognize certain calls. They're gonna recognize. Oh, it's a game know, goes on. Younger guys, maybe not as much. You know, they're they're still trying to they're figure. They're swimming probably. Right. But the older guys, the more experienced players, are going to pick up on things pretty quickly. Oh, the yeah. cadences and and you know audibles, those kind of things that they're going to hear, and and, and it, it's going to be an equalizer. I, I don't know how you. I don't know how you fix that though without fans in the stadium. No that crowd noise. I mean, I, I don't think you fix it, and I'm not sure that, that means it's broken either. It's just right. like different. It's just know, part but. of the, it's part of the game. And to that point, we'll we'll get to a, an article here in the next segment by uh, R.J. Bell on CBS Sports. Yeah, he's, this is interesting. He's one of their, uh, I guess he's their ga- quote unquote gambling expert, um, but he takes a look at home field advantages and what that could mean in 20, uh, 2020. Um, I'm sure Vegas is having a. Tough time figuring it oh, out. Oh, I'm positive right. of that. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the home field advantage in football is so much about the crowd. Absolutely. It's so much about the – Less it, than the travel. It's, it's travel. Sure. It's travel plus crowd, um, you know. Plus some, some nooks and crannies, you know, the, the, the wind and the open end behind you. Yeah, field, the right? weather, you know, those kind of things can right, all affect that. T- you know, conditions. But turf, crowd right? as much as anything. I mean, you, you yeah, know, there's absolutely. a reason why, you know, Kansas City, they, they you know, they – they talk about the you know 148 decibels or whatever it is. They show it on the board how many false starts they've caused and those kind of things uh, with the crowd noise. I mean, you've been on the field for a game or down there. It's it's at a your front row in a Metallica concert. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Mean, the communication, I think, is not construed well. How difficult that is if you're just sitting there at home watching on TV. How every difficult that every is. Friday at practice when the well even whether whether the Steelers are at home or on the road. If they're at home, um, they use the the crowd noise when the defense is on the field. Okay. If they're because going, it's hard for them. To, it's hard for them because the, the fans right. are trying sure. to affect the way the the opposing offense works. So they're going to get louder when the defense is on the mm-hmm. field. When the Steelers are going on the road, they pump Ball in the road. noise when the offense is on the field because the offense is going to be generally, uh, you know, the the opposing stadium is going to be louder when when the Steelers' yeah, offense is on the really field. I think you really do need to practice with it and. You know, like you sit here at home on your lazy boy, and the center snaps a ball, and the, the quarterback's not ready. But it's so loud there. He <laughs> thought he heard the, you know, hut yeah. or whatever, or he flinched his leg, and then you know you're calling the quarterback bad names. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. And we talked about this in the offseason. I wonder how many teams will just go to a, a silent snap count. Period. Period. And just that's what you're going. That's going to be the norm. You're going to go on a silent count. Because as you were talking earlier, it was going through my mind. You know, the obvious advantages, like the Cam Hayward mentioned, are the Ray Lewis's, the really smart Keekleys that are in quarterbacking the defense are really going to start to pick things up and relay it. They were doing that already. They were were already good at (laughs) it. Now it's going to be easier for them. But the the Ed's pass rushers, like if I know your cadence, when you said cadence, I'm thinking. I bet we see a few times this year where that offensive tackle is hardly out of his stance, and somebody just knew it's on two. And, and those I'm guys coming. are so twitched up, right? You know, right. They, <laughs> an extra half a second jump, it's over. Yeah, I mean they're around the edge, and the the, the best thing that you can do is grab a hold of them and <laughs> yank them to the ground. At that yeah. Point, yeah. Uh, otherwise, they're going to take your right. quarterback's head off. Right. If he knows the cadence, these young quarterbacks, the Burrows, the Jones, the Locks, these guys that Sears are facing a lot of them. Uh, are they going to be adapt enough to you know switch that up? And not only that, but expecting your offensive linemen, you're, you're young. If you've got you're breaking in young offensive tackles or, or first year tackles or or guys who haven't played a lot, mm-hmm. are they going to be as in tuned with that snap count? You know, 
maybe they're playing for the first time or right, they're, they're right. a rookie and okay, I gotta get my stance right. Okay, now I'm looking across here. There's TJ Watt across from me. Okay, I gotta get a good I gotta get a good snap, you know, get off the, the set, ball quickly yeah. here and also boat, hey. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. And and even taking a step further, you know, I mean like Wolf always talks about how these linemen that know each other so well just kind of grunt at each other. But most aren't going to be communicating like that. The guard's going to be like, hey, you remember you got him. Yeah. And him's going to know who he is. <laughs> like, oh, so you're blocking me. But I'm going to do a stunt, and you don't know that. So well, That's one of the know, things you know. that, that, like, Foster talked about. He said, you know, when a lot of times when there would be a young defensive player out there on the defensive line, the guy next to him is telling him what his responsibilities are. Which is handy to know for the other team, right? If you're playing hoops, or it's almost like telling you what pitch is coming, yeah. or you know, or hey, we're playing a box and one, or tell me what the coverage is, or you know, that's handy to know. Yeah, and he even brought up a situation where um, I think a few years ago the Steelers played in Houston, and it was loud, and Ben Roethlisberger w- was signaling to to uh, D'Angelo Williams that he wanted wanted him to run a hot route. And so he gave him a hand sign signal like, hey, out, you know. This is the type of route I want And apparently they didn't, you know, they must not have seen it because he ran it and Roethlisberger threw it to him. And they, you know. We complete. basically told you what we're doing here. Yeah. That's right. We paid any attention. <laughs> so, yeah. That's funny. And I'm sure a lot more of that happens. And every player can tell you instances where they knew or yeah. somebody gave something away. Well, I mean, you hear you hear it from time to time that, uh, you know, guys will say, well, they knew, it, you know, they, they were calling out our plays or after a game, you know, well, we knew what they were going to run in this mm-hmm. situation and that situation. That's not cheating. That's not cheating. That's homework. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's doing your homework. Task, yeah. And in this, it, it, this year, there's going to be more in-game homework. Being yeah, done. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like you're going to see when, when they talk about adjustments, um, you know, that first, first couple of drives may be just kind of feeling each, each other out. But then after that, it's going to be, okay, okay, you did this the last time you lined up here and and I saw you know and the smart teams will adapt yeah and say hey they're getting a beat on us we got to switch that you, up you but, said blue 72 you know whatever uh, and he he knew what we I was running yeah so we got to call that red <laughs> 98 or whatever you know and then having everybody can be on the same page with that right I mean the other 10 better know it as well yeah. um, to your point too I mean if you do your homework throughout the week you can see things like well this receiver splits a little tighter whenever he's going to run and in you know little hints you yeah. know and, and the good guys show you the hint and then do something different i mean like a jerry rice type guy right. that can set you up really well or offensive line splits are a little wider when they run outside zone okay well outside zone's coming look yeah. how wide they right. are right you know well I can, I can remember that somebody this was 5 or 6 years ago um Somebody actually called our radio show when when I was doing it with Antonio Brown and said, you know, when you told him when you're running a route and you think you're going to get the ball, you'll tighten your gloves up before you go out. They know the fan knows the fan like now he st- he says, well, I'll, I'll look at that. He started doing it every time. Really? Yeah. So he actually changed you, think, yeah, because he, of that tip. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I'm sure there's times where he thought he's getting the ball and he doesn't. Right, but but if it's a running play, he's not tightening his gloves. He didn't up. tighten his gloves. Yeah. Okay, so that safety might cheat up a little more if he knew that. The, You're yeah. watching him the key on that. Well, he's not tightening his gloves up. Okay, he's probably not. They're mm-hmm. not throwing the ball here. He yeah, think I mean, it's like Teddy KGB in the Oreos. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like everyone's got some chick, kind of tell. Chick, it. chick, <laughs> all night long, chick. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it should be an interesting season, and we'll talk about those uh, NFL lines. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's stuff. not last year was not quite as. Uh, Typical, as you'd, you'd see, usually see uh, from the road teams, home road splits, those kind of things, um, just wasn't the wasn't the norm wasn't last the norm. year. 
Yeah, yeah so I we'll, wonder if it's a trend, and this year won't tell us any. This year's will not. This you could throw right? this one out the window. This right. is this is one that doesn't won't count for anything. But we'll talk about I, that I next. The, I bet the betters over the first two three weeks will be like, "Wow, Vegas has home field advantage more than they should, or Wait, less than they should." Much more, you know heavily, what I mean? Yeah. Right. yeah, for sure. So we'll talk about that when we come back. He is Matt Williamson. I'm Dale Lally. You're listening to the Drive here on Steelers Nation Radio. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Tune to the drive on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson. Of course, our uh, Steelers coverage is brought to you by PNC Bank. PNC Bank is the official bank of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, Matt, the uh, we, we referenced a, a story by R.J. White here on CBSSports.com uh, where he takes a look at the home field advantage uh, in terms of the betting lines. And, yeah, the different the influence on the point spread yeah. kind of thing, right? And not, it's not even so much from the point spreads factor uh but home field advantage did not matter nearly as much in, in last season as it, as it has in previous years uh in fact if you look at the records uh home and away records last year um you know the the, the away teams in terms of winning straight up and covering last year were w- through the roof uh against the spread last year home teams Went 104, 137, and 10. Wow. Uh, that was the lowest mark since 1972. Hmm. That's a long time. That's a long time, right. And it made me – I think there's some reasons for that. I think you had you, – last year, um, we've got a lot of young quarterbacks in the league right now. Teams, we do. Teams we are do. breaking a lot of first- and second-year quarterbacks. And the bad teams were bad teams. And the good teams won no matter where they were at. Yeah, I guess there's something to be said for that. You know, that the – the, the Patriots, the Ravens, the Chiefs, the teams that had a lot of wins were rolling people no matter where they were at. Yeah. You know? I mean, even the Packers were 13 and 3. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were, I think there were more, and, and I don't know this for sure, but, I, I, you know, if you look more at it, more, more teams more, with 11 or 12 or 13 and 14 wins than, true. than previous years. And also on the other end of that, you know, we, we talked about this a lot. Like, had the Steelers not made the Minka Fitzpatrick trade, six wins. Didn't even get you into the top ten in the No, right, right, right. Know. In terms of Yeah, I guess so. I mean, in terms of that middle class was probably smaller than usual. Right. I think you know that was I mean? the I think that was the case. There were the you know, you had the haves, you had the have nots mm-hmm. in that middle class, which included the Steelers last year without Ben Roethlisberger. Maybe it was five or ten teams less than usual. Yeah. Or, I mean it just know. wasn't as big as you typically see. Um uh, so he breaks down over the last the way he looks at this is 
calculated he's calculated home field advantage from 2015 to 2019. Okay, so it's not just one year. Good. Not just one year. Because one year, the last year really did stand out, and there might be more reasons we're not thinking about either. Yeah. Um, last year, the home team won straight up, just won fifty-one point seven percent of his games. Typically, okay. that number's around fifty-five percent. That's low. Yeah. Um, Real quick, I have one thought on that. I bet the Chargers screwed things up. The char- well, the Chargers don't. It's only eight games. They don't help that, but it's only eight games. Yeah. 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 Uh, but there are other teams that, again, uh, you know, when you look at uh, Jacksonville, for example, it didn't, mm-hmm. ma- didn't matter where they played at. They were bad. Right, Miami. Right, yeah. yeah, Cincinnati didn't Cincinnati, matter where right. they played at. They were bad. Yes. Um, you know, so 51.7% of the games. Um, he calculates that the average home field advantage. Now, typically, Las Vegas or the people who set the gambling lines will look at that and say that, uh, you know, home field advantage is worth three points. Generally speaking, rule of thumb. Generally speaking, yeah. As growing up, that's what you were always told, you know. Um, his home field advantage this year, on average, is 1.75 points going into this okay. season. Uh, and the reasoning for that, obviously, we talked about it in the previous segment, no fans in the stadium. Right, right. The, um, he thinks that the COVID rules will make it so that teams, traveling teams, uh, it's not going to be like a normal trip. Um, you know, you're going to have to have be much more stringent about things. I'm sure of it. Right. Um, you know, you, you may not get your typical workouts in. You may not get your typical. It's not going to be what you're what you're used your to. What's the norm? Might not be the same. Right. I mean, a lot of aspects of it might not be the same. The equipment guy might not set up the same way. You equipment, might, uh, you know, is the right. equipment guy going to have con, you know contact with the players? I, you know, in some right. cases, yes. Uh, who knows? I mean, but you're not going to have as many. Or your ankle's going to get taped the same way. I mean, it's just going to be different. It's going to be being different. On the road yeah. is going to be new. So um, he did. He does a weighted home field advantage, okay. which takes into account how you play on the road versus how you play at home. All kinds of things that factor into that. The Steelers actually come out of that uh, under that weighted home field advantage with the second best weighted home field advantage in the league behind Indianapolis, which I don't quite understand. I mean, what makes those two the top two? Indianapolis Style of play. Quarterback. I, I think Indianapolis is there's some style of play things okay. they play they're playing indoors sure. as opposed to being on the when they're on the road they're you know a lot of times outdoors uh I'm trying to think things that those two teams have in common better in quarterbacks and there is an old adage 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 I always say that word wrong bad offensive lines don't travel and good offensive lines do. I think those are two of the top eight offensive lines or so. I yeah. Mean, I think there is something to go on the road. I, I think, too. That's more fan. And I mean, if you think fans. about how many, like, for example, primetime games the Steelers play at home. That's a good point. I mean, those ones will Tom's throw, been through the wars. Those things will throw everything out of whack because mm-hmm. they've just killed some teams at home. If they're playing in primetime at home, the Steelers yeah. are not only going to win; they're going to win big. They crush, yeah. Yeah, um, they just for whatever reason the crowd gets into it even more. So they they are always prepared well for those games, and they just destroy teams mm-hmm. in those situations. They definitely get up to, or you know, for whatever cliche you want to use, you know. Yeah. So their home field advantage, or weighted home field advantage, over the last uh, five years was four point oh nine points per game. They're actually better than the norm. Um, you look at some other teams. I'm kind of surprised here. Uh, uh, some teams that you would think would be better at this, like Seattle's only point mm-hmm. one. I mean, I'm thinking about loud stadiums. I mean, obviously, Steeler fans are good. Kansas I mean, City's point five one. But that's only for this year. That's right? the I mean, weighted. No, that's the weighted from the previous, previous four year. years. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I mean, 
they're doing the study. It just doesn't pass a sniff test. Yeah. Um, the Raiders actually – Raiders – uh, come in third in that uh, with 3.81. Which you, you talked about that a little off the air. Like, that's just gets so miserable. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, nobody likes to go play there. You're right. It's a bad field, bad track. Uh, the Cowboys and uh, Packers are are tied for fourth and fifth on that list at 3.55 points. I'm trying to think the commonality between some of these. You know, like Green Bay, I can get that their weather is well, I think a, I think being year. a good, de- good team helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. I mean, it's not the Bengals and Jags at the yeah. top of the list. I mean, I get that part. Like, for example, Detroit is minus .7 points over right. there. You know, they, it didn't matter where I'm they played. Sure the Rams, home field advantage, the Rams yeah. somehow are minus 2.15. Do they have a little bit of the Charger problem? Where they they had – well, if you're, I mean, other. you're going back to 2015 with this. Mm-hmm. So they weren't always a good team during that period as, as well. See, I mean, I see that's like, a notorious fickle, you know, fan base. Yeah. Um, so going into 2020, the average, as we mentioned, the average home field advantage is just over a point. Uh, the Steelers are actually tied for the first on first on this at, at uh, 2.5 points hmm. per. That's great per game. Uh, some other teams, sure that, some other teams that get that at home field advantage: uh, Indianapolis because of their mm-hmm. history, the Packers, Denver. For obvious reasons, that's a, Denver. I think is the hardest place to play in the league. Uh, Dallas at two two point five. Um, if you look at some others uh, here at two, Baltimore is at two. Okay. Uh, Chicago is at two. Chicago is a weird track. It's a weird track. It's windy. windy um, yeah. It, it, it is a difficult conditions. place to play. Um, What's your feel in Baltimore? I mean, I know they're they're very passionate crowds. Loud. It is. Uh, you know, the stadium itself isn't all that troubling no right right i think everything's set up well there it's not like it's you know wasn't like what what oakland was yeah uh but the fans there make a difference right and i think that will be a a huge thing for them uh houston is at two okay it gets hot there i think yeah i say heat i think is important jacksonville's a two yeah i mean miami and tampa yeah but if it's september yeah kansas city's a two miami's a two okay uh minneapolis and minnesota's a two um, I wonder, you know, I always talk about, like, going to Miami the first couple of weeks of the year is a real disadvantage. But I wonder if it's week 15 and you're the Packers and it's three feet of snow at home and you go to Miami and it's 70. It still feels just as hot as... Oh, it feels like it's 90. Right, right, yeah. right exactly, right. Yeah. Uh, New England's a two. So you would think that they won so many games at home. Their weighted, their weighted uh, uh, home field advantage is .81. Okay. I just, uh, you know. I mean, I don't think it's a, a real difficult stadium. They've just been a good team in that stadium. Well, they have some. They, they create some difficulties there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when your phones, your phones don't work. Your phones like don't that. work right. or something happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Looking here, Philadelphia is a two. Okay. I mean, that's considered a nasty place. Yeah, to play. Seattle's a two. San Francisco's a two. I think they, they factor in how good the team is here I'm as sure, well. I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure. I wonder if you are a, a team on the coast, so a lot of people have to travel further to get to you, too, yeah. as opposed to Indy. But Indy was number one. Right. Um, some of the teams that are on the low end of this, and, and the low end is a, a one. Um, so you're looking at, the, if you're playing these teams, the Chargers. They have to be, yeah. Yeah. The Rams. Okay. They, they have, neither one of those teams have much of a home field Hard advantage. Hard tonight, too. The Giants, where the Steelers opened the season. Wow. One point uh, home field I wonder if a lot of New Yorkers – I wonder if there's a lot of Steeler fans in New York because the city's so big. 
I mean, I know there's a lot of Giants fans in New York. Yeah. So I get that part. It's, it's not going to matter because there's not going to be anybody in the stadium. So well, for this part, sure. Yeah. I'm just thinking in general, right? Um, no, good point. Two of the other ones, uh, Tampa Bay and Washington, both a one. Hmm. Tampa Bay, you would think, would be higher than that, but Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay's weighted home field advantage is minus point eight four. They haven't wow. been good in a while. Yeah, they haven't been good in a while. And they're a team that, you know, opposing teams take over the stadium. They do. Yeah, they do. You, you can look at that. That which, adds up. You know, yeah. Jacksonville, places like that. Absolutely. Fans right. want to go to. It's not hard to get Cincinnati, ones that aren't hard to get seats at. Yeah. Um, Cincinnati's a one point, one and a half. Uh, Arizona's a one and a half. Another another place where, you know, yeah, opposing you can, fans. You can get in the building. Uh, Atlanta, a one and a half. That makes Same sense. thing. Right, right. Uh, Buffalo, only a one and a half. Really? Kind of surprising. I would think would be really high. Yeah, you would think. Weather, strong fan base. Yeah, you know, smart, loud. You yeah, know, in, but again, with no fans, no, New York's going to have no fans in the stadiums right. probably all season. Uh, Carolina, one point five. Cincinnati, a one point five. Cleveland, a one point five. You don't look at Cincinnati or Cleveland stadiums as anything. No, out of the ordinary. Or, no, you know, I've seen I've seen lots of Steeler wins in those places. Yeah, right. You walked out of there with a lot of W's <laughs> for the Steelers, right? Uh, Detroit, a one point five. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a trend with domes either. No, yeah, no. I was thinking that too. You Las know, Vegas, uh, like, are all the domes would be at the top. Las Vegas is a 1.5, even though the That's Raiders, huge the Raiders had a huge home field advantage before. Mm-hmm. Now they've, now they have one of the worst ones. Nobody book, knows. Talk about bookmakers, which happens to be in Vegas. They're going to have a hard time booking home Raider games next year. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Right, yeah, so they're not like, going to know. Right. Uh, New Orleans, surprisingly, a 1.5. You would think that'd be really You're taking dumb. the fans out of the equation in New yeah, Orleans. That place was That's super loud, too. That yeah. place. Uh, and uh, Tennessee huh. is the other one, 1.5. Interesting. I, I would be curious, not to take it off topic, but if you did it with the, with the fans, you know, in a typical year, I wonder how giant the discrepancies are, like, in college. Like, going to LSU. Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, yeah. is it 10? <laughs> you know, like how big in numbers are there? Going to Ohio State, going to Penn State, going to Bama, you know. If you're Joe Average team, it can't be three. It has to be a lot more than that. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and uh, you know, uh, the other part of the equation, like going to Seattle is no fun. But if you're the Rams or the Cardinals. You've done it. Sam, the 49ers, right. you do that all the time. Yeah. It's not, some... that, it's not that outside the norm. I mm-hmm. think that affects their overall home But I do advantage. think hearing there is difficult. Yes. With the fans. But I think if you're used to it, if you're accustomed to it, mm-hmm. it's not that big of a deal. You at least know what's coming. Yes. It could be much of the same thing, even though, for example, the, the you know, the Bills or the Dolphins or the and the Jets don't win in New England, do they get blown out all the time up there? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know loses in Miami a lot. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. But that is interesting. Yeah, but, yeah. It's it, 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 interesting conversation. It, it, this year is just going to be weird. The, 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 I think the it. takeaway from this is don't just assume the three-point home advantage this no. year. No, any year I guess is the takeaway, but this year in particular. I mean, remember the year the Chargers? That was two years ago. They won every game they got on a plane. On the, yeah, every time they got on a plane. <laughs> right, because yeah. they didn't win when they went to the Rams across town. Was there something to that? I mean, no, that's only eight games, but they were 8-0. Yeah. They, they, their home and field advantage was so bad. And they were awful at home. Then was that a galvanizing thing for them? We're, we're going to go on the road and make that our home? Well, I think, you, you know, know part, I, of, part of that is, like, it, it just has to be um, deflating when you come out of the tunnel at your home stadium. 
Right. And, and you get booed. And you're getting booed. Yeah. Or it's loud when you're trying to run your offense. You know, like, I think that has a massive effect on yeah. how do you How do you prep for that? You know, when your offense is on the mm-hmm. field, it's loud. When your defense is on the field, it's loud. Yeah. Uh, and you're getting booed. Or your defense nasty. is on the field, it's not loud, I should say. I mean, That's... they're all human beings. I mean, they want to feel, I don't say they want to feel loved, but they, they do. I mean, you want to be feel at home, you know, like this is our place. Yeah. And I don't know that they, they necessarily get that right now. Mm-mm. Uh, be worth watching. We'll see how the first few Very weeks of the so. season, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that throughout the course of the season and see how it works out. Uh, but he is Matt Williamson. I'm Dale Lolly. You're listening to The Drive here on Steelers Nation Radio. Matt has come up with his edge ranker, edge oh, rusher yeah. rankings. Okay, we can do that. We'll take a look at those next. Uh, of course, he does those for? Pro Football Network. Pro Football yeah. Network. There you go. So we'll do those right after this on The Drive. You're tuned to The Drive on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio. Matt Williamson and Matt, uh, you did your edge rushers, yeah. your top twenty-five edge rushers going into the twenty twenty season here, and uh, we'll go from uh, bottom to top. Before you do, I just want to—I mean, Bud Dupree was almost on the just missed list. I mean, some of the guys that aren't on here are really good football players. Like I, I really like Josh Allen and Brian Burns. They were rookies last year, but I needed a little bit more body work. I needed more snaps to, to include them in the top twenty-five, which is a really good group. Eric Armstead, Trey Flowers, Brandon Graham, Justin Houston, Matthew Judon, Ryan Kerrigan. None of them made it. And, yeah. And, you know, it's just, they're all pretty good players. If that was my like, – like Marlon Mack was my 25th running back. Well, Ryan Kerrigan's better than Marlon Mack. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and your number 25 guy is D. Ford. Yeah. Uh, who's a good good edge guy. Yeah, he's getting paid a ton of money. The Niners gave up a lot to get him. He was in the Super Bowl. He, he's in and out of the lineup a little bit, and he's not – He's not a real power player. I mean, that, that's just his style of game. Um, and I, I knocked him down a little for that. Yeah. So he comes in at number 25. Number 24 is Bradley Chubb with the Broncos. Now, how could you? How did you rank him on that list of 24, but you couldn't rank the, the rookies on there? Because essentially he only had one season. Well, at least I've seen him play NFL football. Okay, well, I mean, saw, I haven't seen Chase Young play he saw jo- I'm, so, I'm so talking about Josh Allen and Brian Burns. Well, I thought about them. They just didn't have a lot of snap counts. You know, Chubb had a, a very full rookie Yeah, I, I mean, year. I would look at that and say he had a better rookie year than those guys. Yeah. I mean, he had 13 sacks as a rookie. Right. Uh, but I think that number's a little inflated. Like, I bet some people have Chubb higher. Like, uh, one thing I said about him is, like, all these guys that go in the top five, top ten, I don't know that he's quite as flexible and as athletic as some of the top ones. You know, he's yeah. kind of a power straight ahead has some Bud Dupree. He to benefited him. from playing opposite Von Miller, without question. Yeah. I mean, without question. And Miller suffered when he went out too. Right. But I mean, he's a good player. Um, I don't know that he's going to skyrocket up these boards. I yeah. think he's always going to be in that neighborhood. Uh, number twenty-three is a guy who's still unsigned, Everson Griffin. There's two of them unsigned on here. I still think Everson Griffin's really good. Um, older dude. 
one of the oldest guys. He is the oldest player on this list. Um, he's not quite what he used to be, and he's had some off-the-field medical issues and things, too. I mean, I don't know how much that influences him not being signed, but uh, it shocks me that uh, I think he's still going to be highly productive this year, and yeah. probably in you know, lesser snaps. Number 22 is a guy that Steeler fans get to see a lot of. I think he's underrated across the league. That would be Carlos Dunlap. Yeah, I think he is, too. I mean, he's a king-size guy, uh, plays the run very well. He's hard to run at. But he's an underrated pass rusher, too, and he, he certainly falls in that category of Boy, I never get to play with the lead and pin my ears back. Yeah, you know? I mean, but, but you look every year; he's got you know eight, nine, nine right, ten, eleven right. sacks. Exactly, playing on a bad football team. And I don't think he's dipped off at all. Um, I think he is an underrated player. Number twenty-one is a guy who I think is maybe slightly overrated. I didn't know where to put him. Dante Fowler. I don't know that he's better than Bud Dupree. It's close, and they're similar in style. I think Fowler's a if, little bit better. Fowl, I think Fowl, if Fowler had been drafted, you know, beyond the first round, or if he had been the twenty, you know, third pick in the draft, and Dupree yeah. was the third pick in the draft, would you look at those guys differently? I I like to pretend like I wouldn't, but I, I mean there is some bias, I'm sure. But he played well for the Rams last year. He did. I think he's had one good year. That's you know, it. Like, that's, that's essentially thing. it. That's, that's yeah. I mean, if it was off his tape before this year, he wouldn't have sniffed my list. I mean, I would rather have Bud. But I thought he played really well for the Rams. Maybe he's coming into his own. I think he's a big upgrade in Atlanta over Vic Beasley. Well, without a yeah, doubt. Without uh, Vic Beasley. I mean, he had 11 half sacks last year. Vic Beasley did not sniff the top no, list. The top, this list. Him. Uh, maybe if he were doing a top 50 list, Vic Beasley yeah, might, maybe, make, might maybe, make maybe. it. Uh, number 20 is Preston Smith. Yeah, and... I downplayed both the Packers-Smiths until I really dug into this, and they both played better than I thought they did. Um, I don't think he's a special player. He's a little bit stiff, but he's a long strider, long-armed guy, power player. Uh, I like him, I mean, but I think he's a really good Robin. Uh, 19 is Jadavian Clowney. Also unsigned. Yeah, also he's unsigned. A very different style of game. He's a power player. He plays the run really well. I think he's at his best lineup over a guard. And a lot of these guys do that, too. Um, but we've, said, we've talked about him a lot over the last couple months. Like yeah. We did, whoever was going to sign him was not probably going to be happy with him. But there's a lot of talent there. Yeah. 18 is uh, Yannick Ngakwe. He's a true bender. Yeah. yeah. Not real concerned with the run. He's more of a finesse, speedball, low guy. Um, he wants out, of course, but he gets the job done. He's, he's ascending. Uh, 17 is Frank Clark with the Chiefs. He was tough for me because he's a big-name guy in a big-name team. Um, he had five postseason sacks, but much of the year, the first two, three months, he was very quiet in Kansas City. And I wonder if he's starting to slip a little. Number 16 is Calais Campbell. He is actually the oldest guy on this list. Oh, yeah. Not right, Everson right. Griffin, but – yeah. Um, he, I just can't look at him and say, oh, he's an edge guy. He's just not an edge guy to me. Well, That's like calling Cam Hayward an edge guy. Similar. I also have J.J. Watt on there. And what I did was I asked my editor, what do you want me to do with these guys? And he said, well, the last guy who did the tackles didn't include them, so let's call them edges. I mean, Cam never really lines up outside the tackle. I mean, Campbell does more that than Cam. But he's 300 pounds, and he's 6'8", yeah. six, eight, six, eight, and he's and, still at yeah. his best you know, on the inside. Uh, I mean, we've talked about him a lot, too. I, I hope they don't ask him to play too many snaps. So. 
Uh, 15 is Robert Quinn. That going over to the Bears people. this year. He was a stud last year. I loved him coming out of school. Super explosive. I thought he had his best year last year. And it's another one where he's a huge upgrade over Floyd, who he's taken over for with the Bears now. Number 14, I think, is probably your last Robin on this list. Yeah, that's uh, That point. would be Melvin Ingram. And mm -hmm. he wasn't on the field a lot last year. No, and didn't have a great year. But respect his body of work quite a bit. It would shock me if he's not really good this year. A lot of ability as well. All these guys have a lot of ability. Uh, 13 is Demarcus Lawrence with the Cowboys. Only five sacks, so people kind of thought that he was down, but the tape didn't show that at all. Plays the run well. Pure 4-3 end, you know. And, yeah. And awfully good at what he does. Number 12 is the uh, 2019 NFL sack leader Shaq Barrett with the Buccaneers. With 19 and a half sacks. Yeah. And will he ever reach those numbers again? I'm sure he won't. He didn't have 19 and a half sacks in his career prior to last year. Right. In his previous four seasons. But I remember even us talking about, he didn't come from nowhere. And we even No, he was about, a quality player. Right, yeah. He was stuck behind Chubb Von and Miller, Miller and yeah. Chubb and even Ware before those guys. So when he, and when he saw the field as a rotational player in Denver, he was quite productive. I mean, this is an anomaly, but they weren't, you know, unblocked sacks or cleanup sacks. He legit beat tackles pretty much over and over. Number 11 is Zadarius Smith, and I think if you look at a lot of other lists around the, the, the league, people would have him much higher than 11. But Yeah. One really good year, though. Yeah. I mean, and and that's great. Um, he's another one they kick inside a lot. He's coming into his own, much like Bud is, coming out of the same school. Um, he's got a lot of snap to him. I liked him more than I thought I would when I went back and did this exercise. And I only quoted Pro Football Focus once. He was their pressure leader for the year. And I don't believe pressure, in that You, you asked me that honest. last yeah. week when you were putting this list together. Like, is pressure an official NFL stat? It is not. It's not, those yeah. are Those are much like tackles. Those are done by the home. They're subjective. Yeah, yeah the, the home uh, team uh, guys putting that together. Or in the case of Pro Football Focus, they've got whoever that grader, whoever is, that that grader is. And if he gives a pressure for, well, he was two steps from the quarterback. Is that a pressure? I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. the only time I referenced that, um, and I hesitated to, to be honest with you. But he was first. So. Yeah. Uh, number ten is JJ Watt, as you mentioned. Uh, he's on the list. He's the lesser of the Watts, in my opinion, right now. And I thought he was awesome when he played, but he played sixteen games in 2018. Great, but sixteen total in 2016, 17, and 19 combined. That that's got to carry. It's got to hold you down, especially when these names that are above them, because yeah. they're all Hall of Fame-ish. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I yeah. agree, yeah. Uh, number nine is Cameron Jordan, a much different kind of player than a guy like Von Miller or T.J. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, he is in all over the line of scrimmage, tough guy. I would say he's a moderate to below average athlete amongst these elite players. Doesn't matter. I mean, 58 sacks since 2015, including 15 and a half last, yes, last year. So it's year after year with this guy. Um, he's been in the defensive MVP conversation the last four or five years. Yeah. Uh, number eight is Von Miller of uh, the Broncos. If you're putting this list together going into last season. He might have been one. He might have been one. Yeah. And I don't think he's fallen off, but his tape wasn't great. He certainly benefited from having constant double teams. But double teams aren't new to Von Miller. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, but he had a down year. Um, he's still a special player. I think he's a Hall of Famer, too. Uh, seven is Nick Bosa. Of the 49ers. Some would mm -hmm. say he's better than Joey. Uh, that that got a lot of stirred up the pot. Because I had Joey at six. I had Nick at seven. 
and I didn't mean it to go that way, but they're so similar. You also I have mean, more of a, a you have more to look at with Joey than you do with Nick. Mm-hmm. Like Nick was a rookie last year. Nick was a rookie last year, and I, I don't like to keep quoting these sack numbers, but I think he only had eight, and a lot of them were down the stretch. I mean, he was great in the the postseason, and that pe- that you know that sticks in everybody's mind, and their team was a lot more successful than Joey's, but. Joey's a stud. Yeah, (laughs) He comes in at number six. Number five is a guy that we've talked about quite a bit on this show. He's one of the more underrated players in the league, Daniel Hunter. Yeah, I mean, he's at the top of the list like we talk about of first one to 50 sacks. The youngest guy to 50 sacks. I mean, he'll he'll be ahead of the curve on all those. Really coming into his own now. Um, I think they're not going to miss Griffin that much because of him. I mean, he's clearly their top guy. Um, Logged a ton of snaps, too. Yeah, uh, number four is T.J. Watt uh, of the Steelers, obviously. And uh, I know Steeler fans are going to go, what do you mean he's only four? Well, there's some good guys ahead of him here. Uh, being number four on this list is not a bad thing. No, I mean, at one point I had him behind the Bosa's at seven. At one point I had him at three. So, I mean, I think everyone knows who he is and keeps getting better. Yeah, um, number three is Miles Garrett. I'm sure that upsets some people because I didn't write this for Steeler Nation in mind. Um, I think Garrett is the most gifted of everybody on this list. Chase Young will probably challenge that notion. But the Browns' defense with and without him was night and day. He he averaged a sack a game before the Rudolph incident. Right. And that's the best in the league at that point. I mean, he was in the MVP conversation before that stupidity. Uh, number two, Chandler Jones of the Cardinals. I bet people are like, that's boring. And it kind of is, but you talk about the anonymity that Dunlap had, all the attention this guy gets. I mean, no one in their front seven's even good. You know, <laughs> every week, <laughs> they rarely play with the lead. He had 19 sacks last year, and he's had 96 since 2012, the most during that time. I mean, he seems to get better year after year. I almost put him one. And that leaves number one, Khalil Mack of the Bears. Did not have a it great season best, last year. Yeah. Right. So I hesitate to do that. I don't mean it to be a Lifetime Achievement Award. But it wasn't like you watched his tape and thought, boy, that guy can't play anymore. I mean, he was a stud. It just didn't quite translate to the field. Only eight and a half sacks. Kind of like the Von Miller year. Would he have been your one? One was hard. One's hard. Um, that's 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 a tough call. I Probably would put him up there. I still think he is a very dangerous player. But again, when you're when you're looking at him, I mean, just look at their top four guys: T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, Chandler Jones, and Khalil Mack. Um, I don't know that any of them do the same job in their no, defense. No, that's very true. Uh, they're all asked to do slightly different mm-hmm. things. You know, Watt will drop into coverage. Right. Uh, Mack may drop into coverage a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly more than Miles Mal- Garrett. Miles Garrett's never dropping into yeah, coverage. Jones doesn't. Yeah, right, and yeah. Jones doesn't either. Even though Jones is is technically called a linebacker in their defense, mm-hmm. he doesn't. He's not. A... That's some of the problems with this whole list in general. I mean, front seven's getting hard to classify what is an edge. That's your Calais Campbell, J.J. Watt conversation too, or you know. And if those if Cameron those Jordan. four guys all walked into the room, you'd look at them and go, they're all different. They're all kind of different, right? Yeah. I mean, Chandler Jones is really really long. Garrett looks. Like Adonis, you know, yeah. DJ's got the real thin waist. You know, he made doesn't look like he plays the same position as some of those guys. Yeah, they they come in all shapes and sizes, and it was hard because 
it had been great if Khalil Mack was coming off one of his usual years. And he said, oh, then he's won. But yeah. eh, it was, was a little down. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but the, a good list nonetheless, as you mentioned. Um, and, again, I, I think to me, you know, we talked about the Mike Clay um, rankings earlier in the week. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is more in, in line with, with reality mm-hmm. and the fact that he had the Browns ranked, what, Fourth or third or fourth? I get a couple tweets in saying, the "Why is Olivier Vernon even in your honorable mentions?" I was like, eh, he, "He stinks. He's just a guy." Yeah, he stinks. Yeah. He's he's highly paid. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, he may have been on this list. Maybe, maybe he's not there now. But I didn't consider even listing him in the preface, saying, "You know, these are some of the great ones to miss." He was not very good last he's year. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. He is Matt Williamson. I'm Dale Lolly. You're listening to the Drive here on Steelers Nation Radio. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, it's time for the fantasy football focus. All right. We'll have some fun with that, we'll, and we'll do that right after this on the Drive. This is the Drive with Dale Lolly and Matt Williamson on your 24/7 home of the Black and Gold SNR Steelers Nation Radio. Back, it's time for the fantasy football focus here on the drive. I'm Dale Lolly here with Matt Williamson, and today we're going to take a look at uh, Pro Football Focus's bust candidates uh, in terms of uh, fantasy football, and uh, we'll take a look at the quarterbacks first. And leading this list is a guy who's going to go pretty early in the in the yeah. quarterback process, and probably should. And it looks like this is based off where they're drafted. Where they're drafted, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. I mean, if you get them in the fifteenth round, I mean, you're happy, right, yeah, right. right. Uh, but their top guy on here is Deshaun Watson. His average draft position right now is 5'8". Um, I don't know that I agree with that one. I don't either because I know he's had some down games, but it's usually when his O-line's getting abused, which has happened a lot over the years, right. and I think it's a lot better. Um, we've talked about this a lot. Both their running backs are designed to catch the ball. I don't think they're going to have a high percentage of, of run plays. And just scanning this article... I think the big argument is, well, his whoopee, DeAndre Hopkins, is now in Arizona, and Hopkins has accounted for over 4,100 yards and 31 touchdowns over the last three years. I get that, but I think Watson, I think that was on purpose because now it's Watson's team right. and he's good enough. To, he was to perhaps forcing the ball at times. Yeah, to right. There. Um, I, I think what could wind up happening out of this is you could see Deshaun Watson run a little bit more than I he think has so in the too. past. And therefore, I think that helps his value. I, I keep envisioning him in the shotgun with do, one of the Johnson guys, you know, split to his side as a sidecar and four receivers and send every five guys go out and out and uh, route and linebacker turns his back and Deshaun picks up eight slides first yeah, down. Yeah, it's, you know? You know, right. it's third and five. And instead of forcing the ball to Hopkins in yeah. that situation, he just runs for it. He just runs for it. Or yeah. finds, you know, he's, getting, he's advanced as a quarterback. In this neighborhood, I won't take a quarterback in the fifth round, but he's actually my favorite one. Yeah, I, no, I agree. <laughs> I, with you, yeah. yeah, I think, uh, you know, because, again, if you look at the guy he's going after here who's also on this list, mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, is his average draft position is 5'4". I would rather have Deshaun Watson. He's more of a proven commodity than, than Kyler Murray, who's being picked right ahead of him. 
Uh, Murray at 5'4", almost has a – it's a little bit of a Baker Mayfield feel to it. Like a, a guy that like, who's been pushed way up the charts here. Getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Getting, right? Yeah, right. I, you know, you, you're, you're projecting a lot more than you, you have the real, you know, reality here. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, oh, yeah, he's going to be the fifth best quarterback in the league this year. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that. Right. I, I agree with this one wholeheartedly in that – I like the player. I mean, I think he's got a really bright future, but he's got a lot of work to do as a quarterback. Yeah. Their offense was very horizontal and simplified last year. They run the ball well, so maybe he won't run quite as much as everyone's envisioning. You know, I think if it's not for Mahomes the year before and Lamar the year, everyone thinks that this is going to happen every year, that someone's going to go in the work that year way. and win the MVP. Yeah. And, yeah, it's great to get Hopkins, but are they going to have a great chemistry together? You know, they haven't played much together. Yeah. Uh, to their point with uh, Murray, Pro Football Focus's projections see 15 quarterbacks with more fantasy points than Murray wow. in uh, 2020. Okay. So he's our 16th-ranked quarterback. Yeah. Usually he's like 5, 6. I mean, I'd have him I probably think he, I think he's somewhere in between that. Yeah. You know, somewhere, you know, 10 to 12-ish. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be – the fifth I would best quarterback. Yeah. Price for him. yeah, I'm just not, I'm not interested in taking him there. Somebody else will take him there, mm-hmm. and if he works out great for them, uh, I would be you know if we get to round you know eight or nine or ten, then I would start thinking Kyler Murray if he's still on the board. But I don't want him. I mean, at I took five, him four. last year in like the thirteenth round, and he I think that's where I yeah right? I had him. Yeah. I got him around that same area, mm-hmm. and he was fine. And he was fine, right? Uh, running backs, Leonard Fournette, his ADP is uh, the seventh pick of the second round pretty early that's pretty early it's pretty early i mean but he is a workhorse he's a workhorse catches the football maybe not to the level that he did last year but if he catches 50 passes then he might be worth it yeah um how much will we play in the fourth quarter i know a lot of people are citing hey chris chris thompson is there now and jay gruden coached him he'll get hurt in the first week though yeah he he just always does he's not a factor for me at all I want to look at the I, and I haven't done this yet, and I'll do this before the draft. I want to look at the games where Fournette and Minshew played together, hmm. yeah, and see how often Minshew threw to him. Mm-hmm. How many of those seventy-five catches last year came from Minshew? That to me is is that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do know is he's not a great route runner and no. things. Though he's you a dump know, off guy. He's a total yeah. dump off guy. But their offensive line's awful. And it is bad. And Minshew runs a fair amount too. I mean, is that going to? It'd be interesting to see what they are like together. The thing working in Fournette's favor, though, is I think he only had three rushing touchdowns. Like he's going to get. He's going to have more than that. Six yeah. Or eight or ten. Yeah. I mean, you, you could know. you could probably pencil in at least five this year, mm-hmm. maybe six. You know, somewhere. He's not in, for me though. Yeah, I don't love I'm the guy. I pick on him. I had him, I think, his rookie year, and it was in and out of the lineup. Yeah, and there's just, that, too. Yeah. I mean, that ankle was not – and I'm not sure he's very good. I mean, like, I think he's fine. I don't know that he's yeah. – He's you know, not special. No, the guys that are going in that neighborhood are probably better at the game than yeah. he is. Uh, Jonathan Taylor makes the list, at pick uh, second pick of the third round. That's pretty rich for a rookie. He was going that early. Yeah, that's I – mean, like the player, like mm-hmm. the situation – I don't love him at, at the second pick of the third round. Though. I don't either. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I thought about him actually the other day. I was listening to something thinking, I'll, I'll take him as my third back. It's right. Fifth, sixth round guy. Wait on him a week. He could have a huge year. Fits what they want to do. I'm not taking him a third, though. 
Yeah, I, I don't like that at all. Um, he's not going to catch any passes. Yeah, I, I just yeah. think he's, uh, you know, if he does, they're going to be dump-offs. I don't know that he does much with them. Naheem Hines still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be the pass. bad receiver. Yeah. Right. So they've got other guys there. I bet Taylor catches fewer than 20 balls all year. A couple other uh, running backs on this list as well. Le'Veon Bell, ADP of ninth pick of the second round. The thing that would worry me the most about him, again, that's Rich. They at least invested heavily in the offensive line where last year, and it really showed with his style, he had nowhere to go. You know, I mean, but they did invest in it, but continuity is so important on the offensive line. They have like four or five new starters. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to happen they're just, overnight. His, his running style, um, you know, he needs guys who understand his running style. Yeah, and I don't, and I don't know that they do. Yeah. Right, and for some reason, Gates doesn't throw him the ball nearly as much as the Steelers did. Uh, and I, I think he ain't quite what he used to be either. But you saw the game last year that he played against the Steelers, and he looked like the best player on the field. Yeah, right, right. I'm so not the, saying he's watched. I, I think there's injuries. talent there. Right. I just don't know that they know how to utilize it. Right. I mean, I would take him at 2-9 if he was with the Steelers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I may take him at the end of the first round. I would take him, still. I would think more about that at you know the end of the third round, early fourth round. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to touch the ball. Yeah, he's going to get you 300 touches this year. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a matter of is he your running back two, and, and you don't have any line. receivers. Uh, you know, if you're, you're taking him at two nine, he's probably you probably got he's he's probably your running back two unless you went with a wide receiver mm-hmm. in the first round. And I don't. Like and if that. you're picking at two nine, you did take a, a running back in the first. Yeah, probably. Right. So you are you going to take him over Julio Jones? No, no, no. no. <laughs> this next one I can I agree with I completely. Totally agree with. Yeah, uh, James White's ADP of five eleven. That's just way – even when Brady was there, you wouldn't take James White in the fifth round. of the No. Game. I mean, even the sixth round. If I have five guys in tow and he's there at the top of the six, no. He's another – it's very Jarvis Landry-like where – He's an accumulator. He's an accumulator. You'll have games – if you take him and start him every week. You're not thrilled about it. You're not thrilled about no. that at all because he's not going to get in the end zone a lot. Yes, there will be games where he catches six or seven passes. That's great. But he's also going to have games where he touches the ball five times mm-hmm. and two of them are runs and it's like okay so i get 12 points or you know six points out of james white this week and is cam going to use them like brady used them probably not probably not yeah. you know the offense is going to be different he's i know they're looking for weapons but and cam dumped it to mccaffrey a lot but uh, i just don't know how that situation at least if brady was there it's like third and eight he's gonna get the ball but no thanks yeah as they make note of here uh, white only scored a touchdown in one of his 10 most targeted games and only cleared 50 receiving yards in two of his six most targeted games. That's not so great. That's not going to get it done for you. No. Uh, Wide receivers. Juju makes this list at ADP Hmm. 211. So I'm essentially, he's going that high. I I am as well. Would you rather have Le'Veon Bell at 29 or Juju Smith-Schuster at 211? I don't know. Probably somebody else. Door number three. I mean, I'd just rather have like the DJ Moore. If you're of the taking, world. yeah, if you're taking Juju Smith-Schuster at two eleven, he's probably your number one receiver. Probably. And right. I don't like him as a number one no. in fantasy land. And I don't like him as a high end two. Yeah. You know, so you, essentially, in a twelve-team league, sure. you're getting, I don't know, Ezekiel Elliott and then Juju Smith-Schuster. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do it for me. It doesn't do it for me. There's just so many good receivers in that tier. Like I'd rather have Calvin Ridley. I'd rather have DJ Moore. I'd rather have probably Lockett. You know, I mean, a lot of those guys that are, um, 
in good situations too. Not that he's not, but he's come off a pretty bad year. Yeah. Now if I, just, I if if I can get Juju as my number two receiver, and mm-hmm. I've already got a good back, if I can get him in a third late third, you know, if that's three eleven. Yeah, I say I think it's like a round off. Yeah, I th- I'm much more in tune with that than I am taking him at two eleven. Right. I just think Deontay Johnson's going to demand the football. Yeah, I think and so as well. And he got the tight ends that he's got to. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Um, and I just don't know that the Steelers are going to throw the. They're not going to throw the ball six hundred seventy five times like they did two years ago. Probably not. Uh, Devontae Parker comes on here at 5'8", and I don't know that I agree with that one. Mm. That's a little earlier than I thought he was going, but I think he's for real. I think he developed as a player. If I'm drafting in the fifth round, he's essentially my th- my third receiver, unless mm-hmm. I took unless I took three running backs in the first. You probably have two backs, two receivers. I mean, t- yeah. typical standard, you know, and he's your if he's your number starter, three. If he's your number three that. receiver, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I mean, I guess I'm not reading what they say here, but... Tua adds some unknown to it. Sure. You know, I mean, when does he come in? Does he fall on his face? Is Parker, does he have the same rapport with Parker that Fitzpatrick did? Um, Tua is worth, I mean, again, I don't know, but Tua is used to throwing two receivers that are pretty darn open. Yeah. (laughs) You know, running away from people. Parker's not that guy. Fitz just puts it up for Parker. Yeah. And he's willing to do the the YOLO balls, you know. At tight end, and this is one we, four, both of us agree with Rob Gronkowski at 5'11". I know. That's insane. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, for obvious reasons to me. He hasn't played in a year, and the last time we saw him, he wasn't what he was. Right. He's lost weight. Um, he's in a new situation. I mean, all those things are – they have other tight ends. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, is he going to play – if 60, he gets seventy percent of the snaps, it, his his ceiling this year would be him getting to double digit touchdowns. That's I, I was going to say two things about him, but he might only catch thirty back thirty passes to do that. Right. Uh, there's actually two arguments in his favor. First of all, he's awesome, or he, or was. he was awesome. He was. I, yeah. I know that he was awesome. Um, the other thing is, like you said, I think there's a chance he catches a million touchdowns. But Mike Evans and Godwin catch a lot of million touchdowns. Yeah, too, they're not going to you know? completely ignore those guys. No, you know, I do think he excels in that area, and the Brady relationship when it's down tight is something. But the other one that I didn't quite realize is you talk about him like he's an old man. He's only thirty-one. <laughs> you know, but his he's bo- an old thirty-one. But his body's yeah. fifty. That's the yeah right. Um, you know. His final season in, uh, in in New England, he had 682 receiving yards. If yeah, you're going to take a tight end in the fifth round, right. he better have more than 682 receiving yards. It's like the fifth tight end off the board yeah. in that neighborhood. Because there's so many good young ones, too. You know, I mean, there's That are probably going to get you more than 682 cheap, yards. Yeah. That, are, that, are, that can run. <laughs> uh, and and quite frankly, I mean, yeah, Brady can love him as much as he wants. He got Mike Evans on the other side. He's never had a guy like that in the red zone either, right. a receiver like that. So, let's say he throws, the, he he splits that up. Is that going to make Gronk the fifth, you know, worth a fifth round pick? I don't think so. No, I, don't I think, think so he, I think it's more likely he catches six to eight touchdown passes this year mm-hmm. than it is that he gets the double digits. And you know, between the twenties on first and ten, and typical situations. One of the amazing things about Gronk's career is his average yard per catch is so high for someone his that for anyone, let alone for a two hundred seventy five pound guy. Well, now he's two hundred forty five pounds, and he's not going to run away from people. Yeah, you know, like you're not going to get. He's not going to look like Kittle in the open field. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, 
I, I don't I don't buy that one at all. I mean, I'd rather roll the dice on Ingram. I'd rather take a safe guy like Henry, who's not exciting. I mean, he'd be low on my tight end list. Yeah, he'll, he'll be very low on mine as well. Um, any other guys? You that, that's the end of their list. Um, I obviously we haven't seen where their ADPs are at here, but uh, is there somebody that you absolutely just don't want to touch, knowing where they're probably going to go? Um, I'm just started thinking about within the division. And I really like Tyler Boyd's game, and he's really rolling up the fantasy world because, you know, the the Rams offense knows how to use the slot. Burrow threw to Justin Jefferson out of the slot at LSU a ton. Boyd had a ton of targets and receptions last year. That's all fine. He just didn't do much with them. Yeah. You know, like, the ceiling's not that high with him. He's going to have a low depth of target, low – you know, per catch ratio. It's very Jarvis Landry like. Yeah, yeah, right. And AJ Green exists. You know, yeah. he the, didn't play last year. The one that's going to scare me a lot is is Aaron Jones. I can see why. I, I mean, like his, him as a player. A I lot. like him as a player. I, I've I've had him like I think the last two or three years. Or yeah, I mean, really. But I've had him the last two or three years. I know that it's very hit and miss. And he was very touchdown dependent last year. Is he going to score that many touchdowns again this year? It's almost impossible. Yeah, like he um, won't be the goal line back. I'm sure with Dylan in the mix. yeah they didn't they drafted Dylan in the second round for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they still have Jamal Williams there. It's it's not going away. In fact, it got more crowded. He has to be Kamara. Is I think he's the A minus version of Kamara, just in terms of talent, yeah. or maybe even worse. He would drive me nuts last year when I did have him. You know, you'd, you'd be watching watching a Packers game or watching it on online, and he would run. You know, they would have situations where he would run the ball between the twenties, even though he scored right. all those touchdowns. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jamal Williams into the game. Yeah, like yeah. what are you doing? And that's going to keep up. I would have less of an issue with it if they did it the other way. The one thing. <laughs> I, I think the touchdown thing kills him, you know, because he th- that's why he was such an elite performer for fantasy. Um, but because they have nothing. I think he's going to catch more passes. He'll Potentially. Get more I just, yeah. Like I mean, 60, 65-ish. Yeah. I bet he catches 75, 80. But is that going to be enough to make up for the fact if he scores eight Probably touchdowns not. this year? No. Probably not, no. Yeah, so no. he's, he's going to go in the first round mm-hmm. after those first, you know, four or five backs. And I just don't know that he's going to be worth that. You're taking him ahead of, like, Lev Bell that they mentioned. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would too. take him in the second round. Right. I don't know that I want to take him as my as my lead back, though. And you're taking him over Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, Ekelar. I think I'd rather have those guys. I'd rather have Jacobs for sure. Yeah, I think I'd rather I think have... I think I'd probably have all of them before Jones. Yeah, just because they don't have... They, 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 the backfield's not as crowded. I know mm-hmm. that they've got a clear path to points every week. If I'm picking 110 in a... Or one nine in a twelve teamer, I might go Jacobs Jones. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. Again, if I, if I get him as my two back, I'm fine. Right, I'm fine it's with a that. Nice buffer, he doesn't. I just don't want him as my one. Right, right. And then, yeah, I, and I then I take agree. a receiver in the second round, and I'm this is the guy I'm counting on every week to get me twenty points. Mm-hmm. And he's there's going to be weeks where he doesn't get there. No, there's going to be down weeks. Yeah, and I don't think they'll be winning as much. I don't think they're in a thirteen win team again either. Yeah, so. but I do think that helps his receptions. I think the reception thing is. Helps his floor a little, but the touchdown thing can't hold up. Yeah, you're just not – I mean, historically, you just don't do that every every year unless you were in a truly elite back, and I don't think he is. Right. I mean, maybe Derrick Henry will or Zeke Elliott. Yeah, know, I trust uh, them to do that, but I don't – I don't. Yeah, but, but again, they're the number – clear number one guy. He's like – he's the number one guy, but it's like 
he's one with two one A and one B and one C. Yeah. Also, the, the Cowboys and Titans didn't use a second round pick on a two hundred fifty pound back. Right. <laughs> that scares me. <laughs> yeah. Right. He is Matt Williamson. I'm Dale Lally. That was the Fantasy Football Focus. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, continue talking uh, what's going on in the NFL and with the Steelers right here on The Drive. You're tuned to The Drive on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio. Nation Unite members have a chance to chat live with safety Minka Fitzpatrick today at 4.30 p.m. Uh, so there's still time to get in and do this. Fitzpatrick will field your questions about training camp and the upcoming season. All you need to do to participate is download the Steelers official mobile app and create a fan profile. That's Minka Fitzpatrick in the latest edition of the SNU Huddle today at 4.30. So get on and, and get... Uh, you mentioned that yesterday. That's a pretty cool opportunity. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, we're, these guys aren't super accessible to the media considering the, the way the world is right now and they certainly aren't chatting with fans left and right you know? yeah so that's, that's good stuff yeah um speaking of uh uh teams or things that are looking up here uh bill barnwell's put out a list of uh four teams that will take a jump this year and four yeah. teams that will take a that will regress a little bit let's take a look at the four teams he thinks will take a leap forward this year leading that list the dallas cowboys they were eight and eight last year their record in games decided by seven points or fewer last season was eight or it was zero and five. Yeah, they were actually in games that uh, were decided by seven points or more, eight and three last year. So they either blew teams out they or they lost bad or they barely lost. I mean, I think they had. I should pull my spreadsheet up because they averaged the most yards per play on offense. They were basically the worst special teams in the whole league. I'm not exactly sure that Jason Garrett's the guy I want to pull out close games or I trust McCarthy <laughs> to do that better. Um, and I think they're evolving. I, mean, I think they're a good football team. Uh, the Chargers are second on that list. They were 5-11 and 11 last year. Uh, they are remarkable splits. Their record in games decided by seven or fewer points was 2-9. and nine. Yeah, awful. And you would think a team with a veteran quarterback would be better than two and nine. And, and, and a lot of them was Rivers turned the ball over on the last drive or forcing yeah. things or, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff, too. Um, they also had some bad luck, too. Uh, I do think they rebound. Again, I'm not sure I trust their coach quarterback combination to all of a sudden go 80% in, you know, one score games. Like two teams I'm sure we'll get to. The Texans and the Seahawks were really amazing in one score games. But I kind of think that's Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, too. You know, yeah. probably won't keep up to that same degree. I like that stat, and it's very predictive year to year. But some of it's, you know, the best teams in one-score games over the last 10 years are like the Steelers and Patriots. Well, right. <laughs> uh, an art to it. You the know? Bengals come in on this list. They were 2-14. and 14. This is like almost like cheating for this one. They were 2-14 and 14 It is, but I read it, and he has year. some good points. Because they were in every game. They were 0-7 in games decided by seven or fewer points mm-hmm. last year. First-time head coach, you know, not great quarterback play. you got to think that comes that corrects a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is sort of cheating. But they're not going to suddenly jump to being a seven-win team this year. No. But they were highly competitive in a lot yeah. of games. Like, I mean, maybe I'm not they, sure they were the worst team in the league. I think if I were setting the over-under in their win total, it would be like five. 
I think five is that's about right. Yeah. And if Burrow shows shows progress, Bengal fans should take that and say, "Great, we'll get another high pick." and, yeah. You know, get a left. But even at that, you're still looking at a five win season. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Uh, the Lions come in then again. The Lions three twelve and one last year. They were three seven and one in one score games. The Lions and Steelers are a little low hanging fruit because a really good quarterback didn't play a high percentage of the right. year. Um, but I, I mean, I'm not going to talk out both sides of my mouth either. I've often said my my favorite long shot bet is the Lions to win that division. I don't think, that, and but a lot of it's because I don't think that division's good. Uh, jumping over to teams that will take it regress this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, leading that list is the Packers. They were thirteen and three last year, but they were six and one yeah. in games decided by one score. Uh, and I've wrote a couple articles about them, and I got a lot of heat from Packers fans even during the year, saying this is one of the worst double-digit teams I've ever seen. They don't stop the run. They only have one weapon at this point. I don't think the offseason helped them. All the metrics that are predictive are screaming for them to be more of like an eight and eight type of team, and I think that's what they are because I don't think Rodgers is Superman anymore. Uh, the number two team on this list, the Seattle Seahawks, they were nine and two last Crazy. year in one score games. Their, their schedule this year is the ninth most difficult mm-hmm. in the league. Um, you would think that they would take a step back. Yeah, but the defense is better. I mean, the back sevens now is really good in my opinion, and I do think there is something to Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll knowing how to win games. In this they level. play the game to play one score games. They do. They do. That's a yeah. good point. I they mean, run, they, run. Yeah. Russ, pull something out of your hat. You yeah. Know? <laughs> So I think they're a little bit of an outlier with that kind of you know th- those metrics. Yeah, um, the Houston Texans. They're another one I said. Ten and six and, yeah. uh, last year. They were eight and three in one score games. But you know what? I mean, everyone's laughing at Bill O'Brien all summer. How can you trade Hopkins for Johnson and not get much else? That guy wins a division like every year. You know, I mean, he. I, I don't know that that speaks as well about him as it does the ineptitude of the other teams in the division. I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. Pre Watson in particular too, but he seems to win ten games. Or I mean, he was eight and eight consistently with Fitzpatrick and Schaub and those type of guys. That's, I'm not sure every coach gets you to eight wins with those guys. And the final team on the list uh, to make it very good uh, to take a, t- a step backwards, the New Orleans Saints. That one shocked me. They're thirteen and three last year, but they were six and one in one score games. Mm-hmm. Remember, part of that was without Drew Brees for part of the year. Like, That's a good point, right? You know, with most of those six and one, uh, that six and one record was probably a lot of the Bridgewater games because they were winning those games thirteen to ten. Yeah, they did play close to the best. I think the roster is so complete though that they can play forty to thirty eight games or thirteen to ten games. Again, it's tough to get the thirteen and three again, though. It is, and that division's hard. Yeah, I the, mean, the, what are they? the division Four got better. The division, yeah, other than like the that. Panthers took a step back, but right, the, you know, you'd think the Buccaneers are going to be better. You'd think the Falcons, who that's a big rivalry mm-hmm. game for them. They maybe they split this year with them as opposed first to first place schedule. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I think that they won't win thirteen games, but by no means do I think they're not a contender. I think Twelve is certainly yeah, yeah, right. And Breeze and Peyton know how to win games in this league too. I mean, yeah. it's a you know a Ben Tomlin. Carol Wilson thing. There's something to that. Yeah, I think they're a pretty good football team. I'm kind of surprised the Steelers weren't on that list of teams that would take maybe a step it's too forward. Easy. Yeah, I mean, maybe. The, I mean, you go out a whole year. He picked the Lions. He picked the picked the Lions and the Bengals. The they couldn't be much worse than they were. Right. I'm just thinking about the quarterback situation. But I, I just think the Steelers. You know, I keep getting asked this. What's what's my projection on this team? And I think they're an 11 or 12 win team. I do too. I mean. One thing I was thinking about today, just randomly, is how many teams in the league do you think are better this year at quarterback than they were last year? 
And none of them are better than the Steelers. I mean, no one took a bigger jump. I mean, there's teams like, um, I guess Indy's better. I, I, I guess since he's better. But it's not a slam dunk sure thing much yeah, better. You're going to be, you know, you had the 31st ranked passing attack last mm-hmm. year uh, without Ben Roethlisberger. Right. I mean, that's going to be better. important position in sports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that in itself. And so maybe they were just too low-hanging fruit because it's such an odd year. Perhaps. 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 I yeah. don't know. He is Matt Williamson. I'm Dale Lally. You're listening to The Drive here on Steelers Nation Radio. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll hear from Steelers uh, defensive assistant coach uh, Terrell Austin. Um, he uh, spoke with the media earlier today. We'll hear what he had to say. Lots of good stuff there. We'll get to that right after this. You're tuned to The Drive on your 24-7 home of the black and gold. Steelers Nation Radio. Steelers training camp media availabilities are presented by your neighborhood Ford store. The Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm Dale Lally here with Matt Williamson on the the drive. And uh, we referenced the uh, Terrell Austin interview uh, that he did earlier today with the Pittsburgh media. I was took part in that. Uh, and uh, he was very good talking about a lot of different stuff with the defense and the secondary in particular. So let's hear what Terrell Austin had to say. We'll get started here with Brian Bacto of the Post-Gazette. Brian, go ahead. Hey, what's up, Terrell? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. How you doing? Good. Um, I think when we talked to you after the draft, uh, specifically when you guys took Antoine Brooks in the sixth round, you said we'll just have to kind of get all those guys, those versatile players in your secondary, shake them up and, and see where they fit best. Uh, mm-hmm. After having them in the classroom all off season and now getting a little bit of interaction uh, with him and some of the other uh, newer guys. I mean, do you have a better feel for uh, responsibilities or assignments or, or how uh, some of your safeties can be used the best? Uh, not quite yet because we haven't seen them move around, but I think learning-wise, I think you have an idea uh, that, that they can learn. And uh, so that's a good thing. And I think once we uh, get going, uh, because of the unusual offseason uh, that it, that we've had, uh, I don't think we're going to be double teaching a lot of new guys and doing some different things. So we'll probably just kind of keep our guys uh, strapped into one position and let them learn. Uh, The veteran guys may get some more, but the newer guys, he'll probably just get strapped into probably a safety type position and and, and go from there. Thanks. Yep. All right, let's move on to Tim Benz with the trip. Tim? I'm wondering about uh, actually two guys Terrell, if that's okay, uh, the first of which is Cam Sutton. Uh, do you see him on a larger role this year? And if so, where exactly? And when it comes to Edmonds, what can you do to uh, maybe get him around the football more often? Uh, the first one with Cam Sutton, I think, uh, uh, yeah, Cam will have an expanded role, I would think, in terms of, you know, he still uh, plays some nickel for us. He plays some dime for us. He plays a lot, plays corner for us. He's played some safety for us. So uh, he's got a lot of versatility, super smart guy. So, uh, I think we'll just carve out his role as it goes during the, during the season. And, uh, and we try to get him in there as many times as we can because he is a really good pass defender and he has a great feel for the pass game. Uh, as far as carving out a separate type of role, uh, no, I don't think so. I just think we just try to give him a little bit more of what we did last year uh, in some of those instances. 
for T. Edmonds, uh, I think he knows that, and we know that uh, he, he's a good football player. We just got to get him a little bit more ball production. And so we'll, we'll spend our, uh, you know, as we get going here in terms of uh, catching the ball, getting around the ball, stripping the ball, uh, fumble recoveries, all those things, and we'll just continue to practice them. I'm sure they'll come. Uh, because the kid works hard, he's around the ball, he's always available, he's out there every snap, and, and those things will come. So the biggest thing we got to do is just continue to work on it, uh, and, and when he gets near the ball, to just to, to make sure he has that production that we need, because that's really the only thing that was that was lacking out of his game last year was the fact that you didn't see very much ball production. But other than that, the guy is always around the ball. He's a good player, he's a good leader, he's a great teammate. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Tim. Let's move on to Jeff Hathorn with 93.7 The Fan. Jeff? Hey, Terrell. Appreciate you doing this. Oh, no problem. Um, I'm just wondering for the depth that you have, how do you feel overall about the depth in the secondary, and how do you try to get them reps without preseason games? How do you try to make up for that lost experience? Well, I think um, we do have an experienced group, and uh, – the nice thing is I think some of our uh, veteran guys, you know, when you've played a lot of, a lot of snaps, sometimes you don't need as much warm-up. And so we'll get them what they need to be ready, and then I think that gives us an opportunity to have some extra reps for some of the younger guys that we're trying to train and trying to give them some looks. So I think there's going to be enough reps in there. Is it ideal? No, but that's kind of where we are right now, and we're going to make the best of it, and I think our guys will – We'll make the best of it. But that's really what we're doing. I think, uh, you know, Joe Hayden doesn't need 500 preseason snaps. Uh, Steve Nelson doesn't need that. Uh, Minka and, and TE don't need all those snaps. They, those guys have played a lot of snaps in the last couple of years. And so we got, we just have to make sure we get those guys ready so when we step out on the field in, in game one, those that group is ready. But also uh, spending some of this camp to being able to develop and identify which of our young guys will be backups and which, you know, to provide depth for us. Thanks, Jeff. We move on to Mike Brazuda with DDE. Mike, go ahead. Hello, Terrell. How you doing? Hey, Mike. With Fitzpatrick, he had so many turnovers right away, and then he didn't get very many at the end. To what extent did you see teams avoid him? And are you guys trying to scheme up ways to get him around the ball more in response to that? Obviously, he's, I think he's a phenomenal football player, um, checks all the boxes, um, made a lot of, actually, like you said, a lot of turnovers early in teams, tried to stay away from him. And I, I think that's just a testament to when you're a good player, a lot of times you don't get all that action. And so I think what we'll do is uh, we'll maybe be able to move him around a little bit more, you know, because what you, you know, getting him week three like we did last year is a little bit, uh, you're just trying to throw him in and just trying to make sure that we get lined up and all that other stuff. Um, but I think this offseason has been helpful for us and for him and for the group because we've been able to talk some things out uh, and really get down into the details of, of, of our defense. And I think that'll give him a little bit more ability to maybe show up in a couple of different positions than he was last year, uh, which will help him get around the ball a little bit more and, and keep that, that, that production. Thank you. All right, let's go to Dale Lally with DK Pittsburgh Sports. Dale, are you on? I'm on. Um, hey, Terrell, uh, when you look at uh, last year, I added it up. You guys had a more than a touchdown lead last year, uh, just over 
100 minutes of, of, of gameplay last year with, with more than a two-touchdown lead, but you were st- or more than a one-touchdown lead, but you were still able to get so many turnovers. Uh, can it be even better if your offense provides you with more, you know, a little more firepower there that, that, that you guys can actually get after the ball a little bit in terms of the guys up front and maybe the, the opposing teams have to throw the ball more at you guys? Yeah, I think that's always uh, when you're playing with the lead and, and you know that teams are one dimensional, then your uh, ability to get turnovers, I think, increases. And so uh, if that happens, uh, that'll be great. If it doesn't, then it's our job to get the ball back in these tight games. And, and, and we're going to try to get after that ball no matter what. So I think uh, our guys are determined uh, to make sure that we play better than we did last year and, and, and get more turnovers and be more impactful on the games than we were last year. And that's really our charge. But yes, to, to answer your question, uh, if you are playing with the lead and, and they have they are one dimensional, your op- your your opportunity for turnovers goes up. Let's go to Ed Bouchette with the Athletic. Ed, um, how does this secondary compare to the ones you had in Baltimore? Acknowledging you had a Hall of Famer down there. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of similarities, uh, you know, and not to get into player by player, but I think there's similarities in terms of how our guys communicate. Um, I think the one thing that I, that that's very uh, similar is I think both of those secondaries, uh, they're really good problem solvers. So you don't see a lot of the same mistakes happen twice. Uh, they're able to fix things during the course of a game. And I think that's, that's one of the, uh, those are something that's really, really good to have as a coach because then you're not sitting there trying to fix everything. Those guys, they know when they made a mistake. They know what they did wrong. They know how to fix it. They know when something's good and working and when to use it. And so I think those are those are two real good similarities that between the two secondaries that, that, that I've had, that I see. Excuse me. Let's go to uh, Brooke Pryor with ESPN. Brooke? Hey, T.A., you know, you mentioned that having veterans, they don't necessarily need all of the the normal preseason snaps that they would get because they have the experience. How much does it help to have those veteran guys to teach some of the younger ones in this case when they've had an abbreviated offseason and you maybe can't get in front of them as much as you would like to? How much are you kind of relying on some of these, you know, uh, extra workouts that they've done in the off season away from everybody or them just talking amongst themselves to, to teach each other? Uh, it's invaluable. I think that uh, good veteran leadership, you can't have enough of that in your room. And I think we have that uh, with, you know, Joe's a veteran, Steve's a veteran. And, you know, Minka and TE are younger guys, uh, but, but they've played a lot of snaps. So they, they actually, you know, they give back to the guys in there so that we are, we're all on the same page. And I really think that's something that, uh, the veterans do and when you have an unselfish group of veterans they're really going to pull the young guys along because they know in the long run we're only going to be as good as as all of the guys in the room so they want these young guys to reach their potential they're not trying uh to not give them information and let them learn it on their own they want them to be really good and they want them to be to be so good that they're pushing the vets because they know that makes us that gives us a chance to be the best team and our and our guys have done a great job of that thanks mm-hmm. Let's go to Mark Caboli with The Athletic. Mark? What's up, Terrell? Um, in your experience as a defensive coordinator, how much did you welcome position coaches' input on game plans? And conversely, as a position coach, was it sometimes hard to chime in 
with ideas in terms of uh, game planning? Uh, no, when I was a coordinator, I, I wanted input. You, you want to have input, especially from your position coaches uh, in the game plan and what we're going to do and what their, their position needed because uh, as a coordinator, sometimes I'm looking at the big picture and I don't kind of – maybe I didn't see everything that a, a certain position group needed, and it was up to the coach to make sure – they brought the ideas. They brought what those guys needed to me, and I and welcome that because you need to be able to put that together because, you know, you don't want to put something out on the field and, and the position coach never told you that hey our guys aren't real comfortable with that. They didn't like that, uh, so you got to have that input. And here, there's no problem. Uh, we all have input in what we do because Mike and I'm sure you've heard Mike. He doesn't care where a good idea comes from, and so that allows us to make sure that you know. Uh, and that's really just the indicator to let us know that hey, listen, he wants our input because it's important to what we do. It's a group effort to get the best out of all of our guys. And so uh, I, don't, I don't ever think that was ever an issue when I was a coordinator or being here as an assistant. All right, let's move on to Rich Walsh with KDKA. Rich, are you on? Yeah. Hey, Terrell, uh, we just talked to Steve, and he said he felt maybe a little underrated at times. What does he do, and what kind of impact does he make on this defense? Maybe in in the in the secondary to allow you to maybe do more, be more aggressive. Yeah, I, Steve's Steve is a good player. He is, uh, you know, he likes to be underrated because that gives him that little chip he needs. I like, <laughs> and I like that. Uh, but Steve, but Steve is a good player. What he does is, uh, what you're going to get from Steve, you're getting at every game. He is a tremendous worker, tremendous pro. So. When you have a guy like that, you don't worry about what you're putting in and how you're putting in uh, or how you're putting it in uh, or what you're going to do because you know he's going to execute that fairly at a fairly high level. And I think that's the one thing that, that he does. He plays, and his level of play does not fluctuate very much week to week. And when I say that, that's in a good way because his play, he's got a high level of play which you feel confident and comfortable with what's going on. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll move on to Jim Wexel with 247 Sports. Jim? Okay. Okay, Terrell. Um, you want to get Minka around the ball uh, more, and that's completely understandable. But what else have you got for a center fielder? I mean, you kind of need that yin and yang, don't you? You do, and I like to have that. But it, it doesn't mean you can't switch it up and do different things at, at times. I mean, that just can't be your – our, our main mode of operation is not going to be Minka down around the box and Terrell Edmonds in the middle of the field because that's not that's not a good plan for us. Uh, but I think there's you can pick and choose your spots uh, to move people around and get them into different spots to, to you know, facilitate uh, maybe getting Minka around the ball or putting them in some spots that uh, the offense isn't used to. All right, let's go to Aubrey Bruce with the Sentinel. Aubrey? We'll move on to Jenna Harner with WPXI. Jenna, are you on? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Beautiful. Terrell, we kind of were getting a lot of talk from the guys just about how much of a mental escape this being back on the field kind of provides. What have you kind of seen from them in terms of their energy and their demeanor as they've kind of, you know, been here for a couple weeks now? You can tell they haven't been around football because they, uh, they're chomping at the bit. It's been good. Our meetings have been great. 
very, very engaged because it's not like uh, the, the long haul. They know everything's got to be done here in a short period of time. And our guys are engaged. Our meetings are fresh. They're, they're, the guys are asking lots of questions when we get out on the field. Uh, the chatter's good. You know, it's uh, you know not a lot of distractions. And, I, and the energy's been really good, really nice. And I know I feel the same way. It's always it's great to be back around the guys and be in that room with them. And I'm sure they feel that way, too. You know, it's good to be around all their friends, their teammates, and, and the entire team getting ready for something. And I think that's you – can, you can see that and you can feel it. All right, we'll wrap it up with uh, D.D. Kinkwabala of the NFL Network. D.D., are you on? I am, I am. There we go. Hi. Hello. Um, you started by talking about the young guys and wanting to have them provide some depth and figure out who can be your backup. So what's the key in evaluating that when you don't have them under the lights and you're somewhat limited in what you can do with them physically? And then the second part of this you gave a great answer about how these guys compare with Ed Reed and the Ravens secondary. What's fun about this group? You've been doing this since 1991. What about this group stands out? <laughs> God, I'm assuming why do you they're you right. like that. That's okay. awful. <laughs> All right, give me the first part of the question again. These okay, young guys. You I think what we're going to do is I got. I think I got it here. The young guys. The thing we'll do with the young guys is you just got to put them in as many stressful situations in practice as possible and as many game-like situations as you can just to see how they react and kind of get an idea of what you're going to get. Uh, obviously, the preseason games, you'll miss you'll miss those things, uh, but there's things that you can do that you can have a pretty good idea because I think even when you have preseason, a lot of times you'll see guys and they'll, they'll show things in practice, and when they get to the game, those same things shows up, good or bad. So I think we can, we can manufacture that. We just don't have as much time as normal. Um, What's fun about this group, uh, this this group is good because I think I have a couple young guys that think they're old in Minka and T. They think they're like 30, 35-year-old guys, and they're kind of, you know, hey, I'm in there. And then I got young, I got older guys like Joe and Steve, and they're like rookies. And they're bouncing around in our room. So it's kind of neat that to, to watch the personalities with the guys. But, no, they're, it's a really, uh, you know, the really good group in terms of how the different mixtures of personalities and how they get along. And I think that's that's important because I think, you know, we spend so much time together uh, in here on the field that if you don't have that those different personalities, you can't have all the same guys. If you don't have those different personalities and those different things working together, then it can be a it could be a grind to be in the room. And uh, these guys, it's not at all. It's 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 a very enjoyable group. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Thank you for your... That was Steelers defensive assistant Terrell Austin earlier today with the media. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Um, really bright guy. Yeah. Brings a lot to the table. Right? Yeah, former defensive coordinator. Does a lot. It really helped the Steelers last year, I thought, with their with some different drills, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in, in taking the ball away. Yeah. And you yeah. constantly heard him throughout practices, um, you know, yelling, finish the play. Uh, or if the ball's on the ground, uh, you get, somebody better get on it on the defensive side of it. So... Uh, that was a a point of emphasis last year, and he thinks they can get more. Yeah, I think I kind of look at him and Matt Canada in similar lights. You know, a year apart or whatever is a, a nice new, fresh set of eyes outside the organization that thinks a little differently. I give Coach Tomlin a lot of credit for those kind of hires. You know, it's easy just to kind of do what you do, and uh, but to bring somebody in that hey, look at us and make a change or two. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's uh, definitely putting your ego in check a little yeah. bit. And, yeah, so. 
Uh, but that's going to do it for our show today. Stay tuned right here for uh, Wesley Euler and Arthur Moach. They'll be picking up uh, for the next three hours before Matt and I come back to finish up with the training camp report along with Mike Pursuta from 6 to 8. Uh, but for my partner, Matt Williamson, for Jacob here on site, keeping us on the air, I'm Dale Lally. We thank you for listening to this edition of The Drive on Steve.